uh, our book study in 1 John. And this is my concluding portion in this uh, as we do uh, chapter 5, verse 16 to the end of the book. I think it's been about eight weeks that we've been doing this. And I tell you what, it is a, it is a good thing to take time in the Word of God. Um, and uh, I want to also let you know that next Sunday, this coming Sunday, we have five people, a couple of couples, two couples, I think, that are going to be sharing, taking one chapter each, and for 10 minutes or less, they're going to be speaking about what God has shown them through this book as we celebrate this sermon called First John and different people bringing different perspectives. So I'm really excited to uh, hear what God's going to say through all of these folks, but it's going to be a uh, a good a good Sunday, so I want to let you know about that as, as well. So our title this morning is um, uh, "Just So You Know," uh, just so you know. And have you ever been in a situation where there was something that happened and you really, really wish you would have known that? You know, like, or maybe somebody had some information that uh, was pretty critical to maybe you driving someplace or doing something, and then you find out that much later, and you're like, you know what? Why didn't you tell me that? Uh, I have to share a quick story that when, when Don and I had our engagement weekend, and that's what it was, it was a whole weekend of engagement when we got engaged, uh, we had, we had a, a scheme to plan this whole trip that she was completely unaware of. She was going to uh, work just a regular Friday and uh, had to meet her boss at the airport or had went with her boss to the airport to pick up a package, and lo and behold, that started a... a, a, a anniversary weekend, and uh, she's like, what? And swooped onto a plane down to SoCal and excited about going to our favorite place, not on the planet because Hawaii, you know, is over, anyway, but um, going to uh, 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 Magic Mountain. Uh, you know, roller coasters, fun, exciting. We can hardly wait. And uh, so, you know, plane ride down there. She's like, I can't believe it. This is crazy. This is insane. And I kind of set it up when I asked her to marry me that she really had no other options but to say yes. Because had she said no, how many know it's a long way here from here to Malibu, right? When you ain't got a ride. Uh, okay, cool. You know, just joking. Anyway, uh, so we're all excited, and we're, think, we're talking about roller coasters, and it's, it's March the 3rd, and it's in Southern California. There's a little bit of, a, of a, a, a marine layer, which is typical. We figure by 11, 12 o'clock, that'll be gone. It's, it's fun, and we're, we're like, there's Valencia. Here's the turnoff. We're so excited. We can see the big tower, and we turn into it's a Magic Mountain, and there's no one in the parking lot. <laughs> exactly. That's what I did, Janae. I went, the heck? What is going on here? I'll tell you what was going on. They were closed. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? It's March the 3rd. We're in Southern California. You don't close anything on March the 3rd. (laughs) I'm like, I wanted so bad to complain to someone, but no one was there. Oh, no. Well, we, we did the next, if, if the Magic Mountain didn't work, we did the next thing on, on the agenda. We went to the happiest place on earth. We went to, we detoured, we went to Anaheim, we went to Disneyland. It all worked out okay. I wish someone would have told me that. <laughs> Pastor Allen was, ta- was speaking, uh, he wasn't here last week because... Um, you know, he, he sent me a, a text or we talked, I forget which, and he said, hey, man, just so you know, I won't be at church on Sunday. I go, okay, okay, cool. What's up, man? He goes, I've got walking pneumonia. And I go, you've got to be kidding me. He goes, yeah, and it's contagious. I'm like, oh, yeah, no, don't come, brother. I mean, we'll, <laughs> we'll, 
we'll pray for you to get healed, but um, I mean, you know, you know, yeah, let me just pray for you, brother. Yes, let's pray. Let's pray. <laughs> and then as we were praying with the worship theme this morning, he says to me that, oh, he says to the group, he goes, yeah, well, it turns out I didn't have walking pneumonia. How cool would that have been to have him come pray and lay hands on him and receive his heal? No, what happened was they got the x-rays mixed up and he didn't have walking pneumonia. Come on. Right? You ever wish somebody would have told you something sooner? He's like at home going, oh, my gosh. I mean, I do feel kind of clammy, but I, you know, <laughs> I don't know. I kind of feel okay. Yeah, right? I mean, when a doctor says you have walking pneumonia, don't you immediately get sick whether you have it or not? I would. I'd be like throwing up in the toilet and all like, oh, my gosh, I'm feeling woozy. You know, <laughs> I wish someone would have told me. Oh, well, I'm going to tell you in the book of 1 John, John the Apostle goes to great length to tell us some things that are very important. And as we close this book, we're going to look at some things that are critical because he, want, he doesn't want anybody on that day when maybe you breathe your last breath and you see Jesus face to face to say, I wish someone would have told me. No, no. John says it all you're here this morning because you're hungry for the Word of God. God's got, God may have already spoken to you. God wants to speak to us. And so, Father, have your way and speak by your Spirit through your Word. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Uh, I'm going to challenge you right off the bat to memorize five Scripture verses from 1 John. You pick them. Five scripture verses from First John. It's almost like if we, if, uh, this, this would be a perfect book for a new believer to read. In fact, a lot of times when people receive Jesus and they, and they come to faith in Christ, we tell them to read the book of John. But if you want kind of a condensed version of that, read the book of First John, because there are some Hall of Fame scripture verses here. Let me read a couple, of, a couple of my favorites, and I plan on memorizing these. And so over the next couple of weeks, you have to hold me accountable to that and say, hey, pastor, how's it going? Are you memorizing those scriptures? And I can go, I'm working on it or whatever, because I really want this in my spirit. Uh, but these are ones that I, I, I kind of know. And so uh, 1 John 1, 7 says, But if we walk in the light as he, he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin or all unrighteousness. Chapter 1, verse 9 says this, If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just or righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. How many of you know that's a Hall of Fame scripture? That's huge. It says in chapter 2, verse 16, for all that is in the world, all of it, all of the craziness and all of the sinful desires and all of the junk of the world and even some junk that we have, says this, for all that is in the world. He describes it, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. It's not from the Father. But it's from the world, and the world is passing away, and also it's lust. But the one who does the will of God lives, how long? Forever. Chapter 3, verse 8, the Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. Chapter 3, verse 18, little children, let us not love in word or tongue, but in deed, that is what we do, and truth. 
Chapter 4, verse 4 says this. The Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy... Um, wait a minute. No, you, you, sorry. You are from God, little children, and have overcome them because greater is he who is in you than he, Satan, who is in the world. That is a Canton, Ohio scripture right there. Hall of Fame. Just put it in there. Chapter 4, verse 8 says, The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Verse 18 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Chapter 5, verse 12 says, He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have the life. So there are two kinds of people in the world. There are those who have the Son, and there are those who do not have the Son. There are those who have life, and when he says life, he's not talking about brain function, liver function, kidney function, you know, the ability to think and process. He's not talking about that life, but he's talking about the, the life in Christ, which is eternal life. If you have the Son, you have life. If you don't have the Son, you don't have life. So it turns out that eternal life is not a matter of philosophy or education or science or good works or even religiosity. And salvation is not necessarily linked to even church. But you must have the Son. The Amplified Bible says, He who has the Son by accepting Him as Lord and Savior, Master, Owner, okay, has the life that is eternal. He who does not have the Son by personal faith does not have the life, okay? And then we begin this morning in chapter 5, verse 13. We'll take it to the end of the book where he says this, These things, and I think this is another Hall of Fame scripture, these things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, which represents all that Jesus is and does. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, which represents all that Jesus is and does, so that you will know with settled and absolute knowledge that you already have eternal life. Can you say amen to that? Okay. Assurance, first and foremost this morning. Not insurance, although knowing Jesus is that too. It's assurance. It's the settled and absolute knowledge of eternal life that you already have. Now listen, because our God transcends time, And it is a difficult concept to think about. We know there's a scientific equation for um, eternity or or, or infinity. We know that there are an infinite number of stars. That the further we go from our galaxy, there's just more stuff out there. And there's literally no end to it as far as we know. Okay? Now, we we also, so we can believe sort of scientifically in infinity. In something that's infinite, but, but it's hard to grab a hold of a God who is outside of infinity, who has always existed and always will exist, and who spoke time into existence. He said, so let there be, and time, not for him, but for planet Earth, began, that the Earth had a beginning. 
uh, that, that there was a time when it all started. And so, so God is outside of that. Uh, you know, we, we think about heaven and we think about day and night and we know that one, the new heavens and the new earth, there's no day or night because of the light of Jesus. God is light. And, and so we, we try, to, try to think in terms of this God who is like that, but, but he's outside of all of that. And because he transcends time, he's able to speak about things that already are when they, at least we, don't see them as that yet. He, he speaks of things that will be and that already are. He says, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. But the truth does set you free, but it will set you free. Uh, we are seated with Christ in heavenly places, it says in Ephesians, right now. But it's like, wait a minute, I'm not in a heavenly place. I'm here on earth. But to God, because God's outside of all of that, he goes, no, you're already seated in heavenly places, even though you're there on earth. Therefore, think heavenly thoughts. And here's the point of all of that. When God speaks, it's as good as done. When God speaks, it is just like it is done. Maybe we don't think it's happened yet, but in him, it's already happened. For example, he changed Abram's name to Abraham, which means a father of a multitude, while Sarah, his wife, still had no children. You're the father of a multitude. Okay, <laughs> I got nothing. Yeah, but in God, God spoke it, and so therefore it is already done. God spoke of Abraham's descendants when there were none. God has the ability to speak about impossible things or things that do not exist and make them possible or bring them into existence. So another thing we learn from 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 this assurance that we have is that we're not doing for God to try to earn our salvation, but we're loving and doing through God because we're already saved. See, we, we do these things because of our position in Christ. It's because of the love that we have and the love that he has for us. So we, we work not to earn our salvation, but we work through what he has already done because we're saved. And here's another thing I learned is that my salvation doesn't depend um, on me. It depends on him, right? He began this good work. He'll be, he'll be faithful to complete it because, you know, I have some good days, you know, I have some, and I have some days not so good. And if my salvation depended on me, I'd be like, man, I don't know. I'm not sure how I'm doing. I'm having a bad week, man. I, I don't know. Like I'll see someone who maybe hasn't been to church in a long time, and I'll go, because I'm the pastor, you know, and, and they, they like immediately feel this sense of guilt, right? I go, hey, how you doing? They'll go, oh, I haven't been to church in a long time. And I'm like, well, you, know, you know, I'm busy. I'm working on Sundays, and I'm busy with this. And they go through all this stuff, and I'm like, I'm like, okay, cool, but I didn't ask you that. I asked you how you're doing. Oh, I'm okay. I'm all right. But, I, but I'll be there. Until, no, no, no. Listen, I, it's, it's because you know what? My salvation isn't determined by my church attendance. If it was, some folk wouldn't make it. And so if it was some, my church, my salvation isn't dependent on, on, on how much I do for God or how much I give or how, it's dependent upon Him and Him only. 
He started, he got me to this, he sustains me in it, and he'll bring me to that final place. It depends on Jesus and what he has done. And when I depend on him and I understand that, then I can know that I have salvation. I can know it. I can know that my position is secured in him. Another thing we can learn from this assurance of salvation is that it comes through the word of God. Because John says, these things I have written so that you may know. The word of God isn't the source of our salvation, but it is a sovereign work of God as he works in our heart and draws us and woos us uh, to Jesus Christ and we understand who he is. Therefore, we're accepted by God. But, but hey, it's, a, it's, a, uh, uh, it's through the word of God that I, my assurance of my salvation grows. See, as I'm reading the Word of God, I'm reading the promises of 1 John. I'm reading that things things have been written so that I may know that I have. I'm reading that he who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. And in John it says, but the wrath of God abides in him. Now I'm reading these things, and it's giving me assurance. I've met people who say that they know Jesus and that they, uh, uh, they may not be going to church or whatever, but, but they have this relationship with him, and then I'll ask them, well, if you die tonight, are you absolutely sure that you'll go to heaven and they're like no i don't know that and it's like there's a disconnect because john says these things are written that you may know but you're saying i know him but i don't know if my salvation is secure i submit to you that maybe you're not reading your bible god's love letter to you that will give you assurance of your salvation if you are doubting your salvation thank you for that spontaneous golf clap if you are doubting your salvation You have to ask yourself that question. Have you asked him into your heart? Do you believe in him? Do you trust in him? Do you cling to him? If the answer is yes, and you're still doubting, get into God's word and let that word assure you of the position that you already have. Don't get to heaven and say, I wish that I would have known that I was saved. Because the Lord will say to you, and I don't know this to be, this conversation would happen. It's hypothetical. But it would be something like, I already told you. It was all there for you. Everything that you needed was already in you and confirmed by the word that I already spoke. All right? Not only do we have an assurance, we have a confidence. Verse 14 says this. This is the remarkable degree of confidence which we as believers are entitled to uh, have before him that if we ask some things according to his will. Huh? If we ask anything according to his will that is consistent with his plan and purpose, he hears us. And if we know for a fact as indeed we do, that he hears and listens to us in whatever we ask, we also know with settled and absolute knowledge that we have granted to us the request which we have asked from him. Let me tell you about the principle of alignment. Everybody say alignment. Alignment. You know what alignment is. Alignment is, is when you bump up against that curve and you start driving down the street and you're on the freeway and you're driving straight but your car wants to go left. That your wheels are out of alignment. And what do you need to do? You need to go get them aligned. Yeah, or realigned. 
right? Right? So alignment is, this is the will of God right here. God has a will. He has a plan. He has a purpose. And sometimes uh, I'm way over here. In, in, I'm out of alignment. So I'm praying something. Let's say I'm praying for something that in his word of God, he's already said no to. And I'm saying, oh God, please give me this. Please do that. And the Lord's like, no, no, listen, you're out of alignment. That's not my will. So my, as I abide in him, we're going to go over this again. But as I, as I draw near to him and, I, and I, as I grow in my walk with him, I begin to ask, God, what's your will in this? And then he might give me a scripture verse or, or confirm it through someone else. Then I begin to pray and I begin to come into alignment and I, and I begin to, to, uh, uh, to receive the answers to those prayers. So, so, but, but here is, here's the formula through that concept of alignment. First, he says, ask. This is a remarkable degree of confidence which we as believers are entitled to have before him if we ask. And I wonder this question, how much doesn't happen in my life because I don't ask. How much? I mean, like I'm striving and struggling and all worn out and tired and, you know, waking up in the morning all crazy, ain't slept good and this, that, and the other. And the Lord is maybe like, you know, I could help you with that if you would ask me. I have an asking problem sometimes. Because I tend to just engage and try to strategize and try to figure it out. And then it's like when it fails or it doesn't turn out the way that I thought it would, sometimes I just feel like the Spirit would say to me, why didn't you ask me? Because, see, I would have told you, like you had like five different answers to the question, I had 7,092, but you didn't bother to ask me about any of them. Ah, ask, ask. Every good and perfect gift comes from above, from the Father of lights who wants to bless his children. See, it turns out God wants us to ask him. He want, You ever feel like you're burdening God with your request? Do you feel that way? Don't feel that way. Don't feel that way. He wants us to ask him because there's another principle. There's alignment. There's also participation because you could say, you know what? I've heard, oh, you know what? God's going to do whatever God's going to do. It's no use praying. Then why did Jesus tell us to ask and seek and knock if it's no use praying? I mean, if God, God is sovereign, we already know that. God can do whatever he wants to do. He doesn't need our help, but he chooses to put himself sometimes in a relationship where he wants us to ask him. That's called participation. We already know he can do it all by himself. He spoke the stars into existence all by himself. He created everything that exists all by himself. We already know that he doesn't need our help for anything. But he wants us to participate with him. He wants us to join in. It says in 2 Corinthians 6.1 that we are, we as workers together with him. He wants that agreement. He, he wants he wants his agenda fulfilled, and he wants to work through us. And so he wants us to ask him. And then he says, ask him anything. 
anything? And that doesn't mean we get whatever we want. Okay, Lord, I'm aligning with you. I think I am. I'm asking you uh, because I'm, I was told I could ask you. Now I'm going to ask you for this Rolls Royce, God, what you say. It's like, no, no, no. He's a good, good father. He's not going to give you something that's going to jack you all up, you know? Is it'll be an idol to you? No, but we can ask him of anything because we, we should pray about everything because guess what? Nothing is too small for him and nothing is too big for him. But it flows out of a relationship with him where we just ask. Have you ever asked God just a simple thing? You know, has the Holy Spirit spoken to you something that was real small and seemed insignificant? Like the Holy Spirit led you to to go to this particular store over here. And you're like, well, I never go to that store. Why? I just need to get cheese and milk or whatever. Why am I going to that store? And you go and you have a divine appointment and you run into somebody. And it's like, God, you, you totally set that up. So nothing's too small. But on the, on the same token, nothing's too big. And we should ask consistently. And we should always ask. Sometimes we have to say, you know what? Why don't we just ask God before we go any further here? Right? It says in Philippians 4, 6, Be anxious for nothing but everything with prayer and, supplica- and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Okay? Everything by prayer. Ask. And then ask according to his will. Sometimes we don't know what his will is. But keep asking. Because we can ask for God's will like this. Oh God, I don't know what your will is, but this is what I want. Or we can ask God like this. God, I don't know what your will is. But whatever it is. I want to align with you. I want to align with you. Right? God wants us to discern his will, sometimes through his word. Sometimes it's through something that the, that the Holy Spirit speaks to us. John fifteen seven says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. But the key is that you're abiding in Jesus. You're living out this life every day. Miss Celia, who runs our children's ministry, was talking about, about her, her journey to have a child just the, in our staff meeting the other day. And she was, she was talking about how, how, how she was praying to have a child and, 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 and it wasn't happening. And, and that the, the doctors told her that here's your chances, slim and none. In other words, stop trying, girl. It's not going to happen. She labored in prayer because she believed it was God's will for her to have. She wasn't just laboring because she really, really wanted a child, although that was a huge part of it. She believed that that's what God wanted. And I believe that God deposits something in you to bring you into alignment so that you have the ability to continue to pray when everybody else says it's not going to happen. And it's not just wishful thinking, well, it looks like it's not going to happen. No, I believe God told me that. And she held on to that word for 10 years. And a part of that season, she was working for an OBGYN every day, being around women who were, who were getting pregnant and having children. 
And she shared that story about how she just kept on praying and kept on praying. And you know what? Because it was God's will, there's the key. It was God's will. She, she knew that God had spoken that to her. So she just, you know what? She went like this, God. She wasn't like, oh, no, I'm going to have a, no, God said. She was like, no, this is what I believe God said. But it's whatever God has, whatever God wants. And God brought her into alignment, and she waited for 10 years. <clears throat> so we pray about everything and anything according to his will because we're abiding in Jesus. And then our will becomes more and more aligned with his will. And you ask what you desire and you keep asking. You keep asking according to his will and then you see answered prayer. How cool is that? Does that mean that we get our prayers answered every time? Yes. It's just not always the way we think it should be answered. Can you say amen to that? It's true. It's true. Verse 16, he says this. We're going to shift gears real quick. He says, if anyone sees his brother committing a sin that does not lead to death, now he's going to give us an, a, 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 a lesson about asking and praying according to the will of the Father, and he's going to tell us something that is his will. So here's an example. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin that does not lead to death, he will pray and ask on the believer's behalf for God, and God will, uh, for him, give life to those whose sin is not leading to death. There is a sin that leads to death. Interesting. I do not say that one should pray for this kind of sin. All wrongdoing is sin, and there is a sin that does not lead to death, one can repent of it and be forgiven. So John seems to be saying there are specific situations where he, he said, don't, don't pray. What is that? Okay, let's kind of break it down. We're not going to spend a lot of time in this because this is kind of a, a beyond our scope today. So if we see a brother committing a sin that does not, uh, uh, that does not lead to death, we should pray. Now, that, that's God's will. You see a brother or sister in sin, he says, pray for them. But you know what happens is that so often we don't pray for them, we judge them. Or uh, uh, I tell somebody else about it. Oh, yeah, you get, you know, yeah, well, oh, did you hear about so-and-so? Yeah, let me tell you what happened. Blah, 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 blah. You know, there I go, right? And we got to be so careful with that because God's will is not that we would just talk about someone else's sin. But he says that we would pray. So if someone comes to you and says, oh, so-and-so, you know, blah, 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 blah. Let me tell you how to stop it right now. You go, hold on, time out. This is the international sign for time out, right? You go, time out. Let's just pray for that person right now. <laughs> it's impossible to continue to gossip when someone wants to pray. And if they keep talking, say, yeah, oh, God in heaven. Just start praying. And they will just, that voice will just, <laughs> Maybe they'll have a little come-to-Jesus moment, and they'll go, sorry. Sorry. Y'all can't wait to use that, huh? I know it. Some of you are like, oh, I can't wait till he says that about Homie Loke again. I'm going to bring it. Um, yeah, I know. I know. It's a brother in Christ. He says it's God's will that we would pray. So we should pray first. It's an example of praying the will of God. This is because of God's heart for restoration. A sin leading to death? 
In 1 Corinthians 11, verse 30, it speaks about people who died. They were sick and they died because they were taking communion, but they were taking it. Uh, 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 the King James says, um, I mean, the uh, Amplified Bible says, without solemn reverence and heartfelt gratitude for the sacrifice of Christ. There were people that were coming to the agape feast and, and everybody was supposed to wait until everybody got there so they could break bread and share wine or juice, or whatever it was, probably wine, together. And, and people were coming and they were disrespecting the Lord's table. And Paul and the apostles says, some of y'all are sick because of it and some have even died. That's a sin that leads to death. Whoa. How many of you think that might change how we do Communion. There's another sin that Jesus spoke of called blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. It's where you attribute, what seems to be, where you attribute the the miracles and the works of Jesus to that of Satan. And in a continual process, that, that sin leads to death. Apparently, a believer can sin to the point where sometimes God will take them out to save the soul, though the flesh might be destroyed. Bible says that. I think I've experienced where a brother went to go be with Christ, and I knew he was having a rough battle in sin, and God just said, you know what? Just come on up with me. I'm going to rescue you from that. I went, ooh, I don't know if that was what was up or not, but I'm just saying, I, he, he might have been in a sin that was leading to death, and God brought him home. Someone said, God will take you out so he can bring you up. Well, let's Shift gears now and go to verse 18. We're almost done here. We know that no one who was born of God sins, but he who was born of God keeps him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are of God, that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. We know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true and we are in him who is true in his son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. All right. We know that no one who is born of God sins. In this struggle against sin, it's important that we keep our hearts and our minds fixed on Jesus. If we are born of God, listen, 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 listen. If we are born of God and the Holy Spirit lives within us and the Word of God is in us, we have everything we need to overcome habitual sin. Everything. It's all there. It is the resurrection power of Jesus Christ working in and through us that causes us to overcome sin. I didn't say it'd be easy. But it's a matter of yielding. And our flesh is so strong. But it can be broken by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we can walk in freedom. It is for freedom that we've been set free. I didn't say it'd be easy. I didn't say it'd be easy. It's a struggle. But if we're born of God, it's all there. John is repeating this idea that he spoke in 1 John 3, 6, where he says, whoever abides in him does not sin. Relax, he's not talking about sinless perfection. It's a present tense Greek verb, which, which means you don't habitually, continually, with unbroken sequence. It's like you don't miss a step. 
If you've got the Spirit of God living within you, you don't sin like that. You don't, okay? That's an indicator of someone who's walking in Jesus, right? I didn't say perfection. I didn't say perfection. Someone who's walking. But he who is born of God keeps him. We know that no one who is born of God sins, but he who was born of God keeps him, and the evil one does not touch him. Turns out that God keeps us, or the one born of God keeps him. I believe that's Jesus. And, uh, and we're protected from Satan by Jesus. That he cannot have us. That, that, that if he, that, that his fiery darts may come our way, we can lift the shield of faith and that nothing happens to us that doesn't go through the hands of God first. Nothing. Because he's sovereign. And the Lord Jesus watches over us. Verse 19 says, We know that we are of God and that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. That's important. Keep that in mind. <clears throat> When you look at the news or you read the newspaper and you see the insanity that happens in our world, and by the way, every worldview must give an answer for evil. You just can't say it's random chance plus time or that's just how people are. No, we have an explanation. The whole world lies in the clutches, the chokehold, or the grip of Satan. That's why there's evil in the world. Then there's my evil heart that, that all of its own will rebel against God every time. It's the truth. Keep that in mind. By the way, two weeks from today, Chaplain Steve Beeson will be here speaking with us. He is a Metro chaplain, and he was instrumentally involved in the October 1 shooting at the center where they were bringing families to tell them, what had happened to their loved ones. He's an amazing man of God. He has seen amazing things. He is, he is dynamically linked together with Metro, and he's going to come and do a teaching entitled Understanding October 1. And he'll bring grace, and he'll bring truth, and I'm telling you, it will be an amazing... T- you don't want to miss what he has to say. That's two weeks from today. Pastor Steve Beeson. Well, let me kind of turn the corner and verse 20 says this as we conclude. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so we may know Him who is true and we are in Him who is true. In His Son, Jesus Christ, this is the true God and eternal life. John testifies that Jesus has come. We saw him. We walked with him. We touched him. We're eyewitnesses to this, he says. And he came to give us understanding so that we might know. Know what? So we might know him who is true, and I believe that's God. We might know him who is true, God. And the word for know is gnosko. Everybody say gnosko. And it speaks of a knowledge that comes by experience, not just book knowledge. Oh, yeah, I memorized that. No, 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 I've experienced it, that kind of knowledge. So uh, Jesus has come so we may know him who is true experientially, and we are in him who is true, Jesus, the true God and eternal life. John Stott says of this statement, come on up, guys, says, this would be the most unequivocal statement of the deity of Jesus in the New Testament, which the champions of orthodoxy were quick to exploit against the heresy of uh, Arius. 
This is the true God, Jesus, and eternal life. Now, we close with this. Verse 21 says, little children, little ones, John just loves the church. No, my little kids, kitties, you little whippersnappers in Jesus, you little bad, bad kids, little children, believers, dear ones, the affection of John, just like, this is his last statement, right? Check it out. What's he going to say? It's going to encourage him. It's going to build him up. It's going to summarize everything he said. He goes, dear ones. And they probably went, oh, that's us, man. Yeah, John's so cool. We love John. <laughs> Guard yourself from idols. False teachings, moral compromises, and anything that would take God's place in your heart. After all the confidence and the promises and the assurances and these things may, were written that you may know and everything else, he says, okay, last, my last word to you, my last word, this is it. Guard yourselves from idols. Guard you. Why would he end in that? Well, I think of a number of reasons. Because we're an idol, uh, idolatrous people. We worship at all kinds of altars. It's the altar of, of, of safety. It's, it's the altar of money. It's the altar of, of uh, 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 selfishness. It's the, it's, it's the altar of, you know what? You name it. It's the altar of sports. Listen, I got to tell you, I'm a sports guy. I have to be careful when it comes to sports because sports can become an idol in my life. I'll sit down for three hours and watch a football game and not think twice about it. I'm saying me. That's me. I've kind of, I made my own situation up where I'm kind of like, okay, man, I don't need to watch the whole game. It's the fourth quarter. If it's a blowout, I don't even care. Football season starts. My, my wife is like, see you in June. <laughs> football, we got basketball, we got the U.S. Open just ended, we got I don't know about you, but I don't have the time to be the kind of sports junkie that I used to be. I just don't. Can't justify it. That's me. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not hating on anybody. Hear me out. Hear me out. But it can, I'm telling you, sports in America is a god. And I'm a sports guy. We are having, we are having this emotionally healthy spirituality thing. September 30th, 6 o'clock, 6 o'clock, okay? Eight weeks. It's Sunday night. You know what someone said to me? They said, what about Sunday night football? No, no, and they weren't, they weren't like, I can't come because of it. I was like, dang, man. Are we that are we that messed up? Are we that addicted to something that's utterly meaningless? I'm a sports guy. Don't get me wrong. You can wear your jersey. We can talk about the games. I can talk. Yeah, we can talk about it all. But you can't give me eight weeks on a Sunday for two hours because of Sunday night football? Really? 
you can't get emotionally healthy, you might be you might have spiritual gifts up here, but if you're emotionally healthy, you're down here and you you disqualify yourself. You may speak prophetically. You, you might have an in-tune prophetic voice. But if but if you're emotionally immature, you cancel out your gift because you're prideful. Or because you can't receive. You know what I'm saying? I mean, this is about becoming whole. This is a part of our discipleship process. And I want to encourage you to do these two things. Number one, take five scripture verses of the book of First John and memorize them. Five. Do more. I'm going to do my list. You can ask me on it. Okay? And then do this. Clear your schedule for emotionally healthy spirituality. I know people that will say, man, I've been a Christian for 20 years. Why do I need this class? It seems elementary to me. Well, you seem prideful to me. Because there are people who are walking in Jesus and who have relationships with him who, who go to church on Sunday, and I'm not perfect, come to church on Sunday and gossip on Monday. What? But this is a part of us growing together. That's all. That's all. Guard your heart from idols. Guard yourselves. Because ultimately, it is idolatry that takes away what is our assurance and our confidence in God because we stray away. We have to guard our hearts. There are two last scripture verses that we have there. Are those available? Jesus says, out of the fullness, the overflow, or the superabundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And the other one is, keep and guard your heart with all vigilance and above all that you guard, uh, for out of it flow the springs of life. Isn't that funny? After all that, he ends with that. Guard your heart against idols. Well, by God's grace, we're going to do that. Uh, it's been an amazing book. I can't wait till next week when you're going to hear some snippets from some other people. Um, our, our prayer team uh, is going to make their way up. And I want to just say that if you've never received Jesus Christ in your heart, today is your day. Uh, Ms. Paulette said it's a special day. I tell you, it's, a, it's the greatest single decision you'll ever make in your life is when you give your heart to Jesus. I tell you what, my, 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 my wedding day was the greatest single day of my life, bar none, with the exception of when I gave my life to Jesus. Because that settled things in heaven. That settled my eternity. And if you've not made that decision, I want to say a quick prayer for you, and we're going to close in a song. Father.